could find our seats, please. And to our guests, I too just want to welcome you and greet you. Thank you for being here this morning. My name is Tim Merwin. I have the privilege of being one of the pastor elders here at Trinity, and it's a joy to be together. It's a joy to be together on any Sunday of the year, um, but obviously, just all that we're celebrating this morning. So I too want to greet you. He is risen. He is risen. Uh, title this morning is One Resurrection. We're in a little mini-series that we started last Sunday. One life, then Friday, one death. This morning, one resurrection. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can be turning there um, with me. And of, strangely enough, I'm going to start this morning with a, maybe an illustration, if you will, um, about aliens. All right, so you weren't expecting that. You, you didn't see that coming. Aliens and UFOs, though, they're kind of in. If you haven't noticed, they're pretty in in 2023, though I don't believe there are any other life forms living out there. Nonetheless, don't be offended with me, some of you. Uh, nonetheless, here's my alien question for us this morning. If an alien showed up on planet Earth on Easter Sunday... What would this creature text home to mom alien to help her understand Easter? I'm pretty sure that the overwhelming response from all previous aliens who have been to planet Earth on Easter Sunday texted something along the lines of Easter's a big deal there. It's a big deal on planet Earth. They call it a holiday. Uh, the, the, the kids, are, they have a day off of school. Some don't have to work on the weekend. Uh, and it revolves around bunny rabbits. It revolves around bunny rabbits and eggs, lots of eggs, lots and lots of eggs. Eggs, eggs are these oblong things. Um, they come from chickens. That's a whole other thing to explain chickens. But the, the people take these oblong eggs, and they, they paint them one time out of the year. That's what Easter's about. It's about the painting of the Easter egg. And, and, and um, a lot of the, the earthlings, they, they go and they purchase eggs, plastic ones, pastel color eggs, and those are the hollowed ones. And they put a substance inside the hollowed ones. They call it sugar. And this sugar seems to have an odd effect on the smaller earth peoples. <laughs> but yeah, it's about eggs and sugar and bunnies. That's what Easter's about. And some of you might feel like a bit of an alien walking in here this morning. Walking into Trinity. I just want to say to you, thanks for coming. I think it can be challenging. It can be difficult to walk in the door of a church. So thank you for coming. We don't want you to feel like an alien. We want you to know that we welcome you in being here. My job this morning, if you will, is to make clear what is Easter and why does it matter? What is Easter and why does it matter? Because before there ever was a plastic egg filled with sugar, there was one, one life, one death, one resurrection. So let's pause and let's pray and then we'll dive in here. God, I want to thank you for the one life, one death, one resurrection that we have been 
considering, preaching about, thinking about, praying about, worshiping. Lord, it really boils down to what Rick has already said this morning, but we have gathered here this morning for the primary reason of worshiping. The one who lived, died, rose from the grave. That's why we're here. So I pray that you would help us over these next moments, Lord, as we preach your word, that you might be glorified in this place. That perhaps those who don't know you would come to saving faith in you this morning. And that you would be at work in all of our lives and you would be at work in your church this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One life, one death, one resurrection in one week. I want to explain what Easter is by giving us a quick picture of this one week, the week that we call Holy Week. I don't want to assume this morning. I don't want to assume you understand Easter or what it is or why it is or what is Holy Week and all these different things that we hear about this time of year. Why are we here and why this holiday? We're here, plain and simple, because Christ is risen from the grave. To understand this, I I want to describe this one week for you briefly and hit some of the big pieces of the week. The last week of Christ. All of Christ's life has been leading up to this one week. And eventually this one weekend. And eventually this one day. Holy Week. It began on Sunday. It was, it was last Sunday, what we, what's called Palm Sunday. Right? Jerusalem was an absolute, it was a buzz of activity of the people. Because on Passover, you would travel to Jerusalem to make sacrifices. It was, it was a time of the year to celebrate God's deliverance of God's people from slavery from the Egyptians. All right? This is the whole Exodus episode. This is Moses. God raised up a deliverer, a Messiah, if you will, a deliverer. His name was Moses to deliver God's people from their slavery. And so on, on, on this Sunday, that's what's going on in Jerusalem. Two miles outside of Jerusalem is Bethany. That's where Jesus is. And Jesus has been attracting all this attention because, well, he's multiplied fish and he's healed blind eyes and he's recently raised Lazarus from the dead. All right, and so people, different crowds, they want to come see him. Some, some want to come worship him. Some want to make him a king, a political king or a military king that's going to overcome Rome, overturn the government, and we will have our freedom, the Jewish people are thinking. And so they come those two miles outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's already a buzz of activity. Now they're hearing, oh, that man Jesus is nearby. Let's go see him. And that was last week. And so they go to see him, and it's what's called Palm Sunday, and it's the crowds. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're they're crying out, salvation is here. This is our king. As the crowds shout, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the religious leaders begin to brood and begin to scheme because people are following this man and his teaching, and and this can't be allowed to continue. So they begin to scheme. How do we kill him? It was Sunday. 
It was Monday. Jesus then goes to the temple where the people who have traveled there are being taken advantage of by the religious leaders. It was Passover, and so travelers, again, they'd come to Jerusalem to make sacrifices, but they would have to purchase those sacrifices. And this is probably the first historical account of price gouging. That's what they were doing. They were price gouging the traveler who needed to make sacrifices for their sin, and so they were upcharging, if you will, and they had turned the, the temple into this well, what Jesus calls a den of thieves. The, 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 the temple, he says there in this text, that um, it, it exists. My father's house is to be a place of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. That's what he says of the religious leaders. It is Monday. Jesus comes into the temple because of what they're doing, and he overturns the tables. So the conflict grows, obviously, between the religious leaders and Jesus. And they question his authority, and his answers absolutely infuriate them. And the city is astir, it's abuzz with all this activity, and many want to see him, and others want to kill him. Where's all this headed? It was Monday. It was Tuesday. Well, you might guess there's another confrontation with the religious leaders on Tuesday, as Jesus spent the the bulk share of the day teaching in the temple. And after this, the leaders get together and they scheme further. How do we capture this man? How do we get rid of Jesus? Because we can't allow his influence over the people to continue. It was Tuesday. It was Wednesday. Jesus went to Simon, the once leper's house, where Mary anoints Jesus with a very expensive perfume. This was not only an extravagant act of worship, and devotion. It was also a prophetic act as her actions are literally preparing, preparing the body of Jesus for burial. It was Wednesday and Judas will go from that dinner and he will accept a bride that evening to betray Jesus to those who want to see him dead. It was Wednesday. It was Thursday. And Peter and John went to make Passover meal arrangements for Jesus and the disciples. This is what we know as the Last Supper, Thursday. It was here that Jesus said to them, one of you will betray me. And he takes the bread and the cup during Passover, which was that annual celebration, the deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from slavery. That's our ancestors. He takes the bread and the cup and he says over the, of the bread, this is my body and over the cup, this is my blood. And he's announcing it's during the time of Passover. This is the new Passover. A savior has come, a Messiah has come, a better Messiah than Moses has come to deliver you, not from your enemy, the Egyptians or the Romans, but from your enemy, from very sin and death itself. It was Thursday. From that supper, Thursday night, they go to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. It's here that Jesus prays and his disciples sleep. It's here that Jesus, that, sorry, Judas comes and betrays Jesus. Right there in the garden, Jesus is arrested. And Peter, that night, will go on to deny Christ three times and the, the rooster crowed. It was Thursday. 
Jesus' arrest brought him to a trial that night by the religious leaders. It was a kangaroo court that was quickly assembled that evening, and they found him guilty of their contrived charges and their punishment for Jesus' crimes, death. It was Thursday. It was Friday. They brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Pilate questions Jesus. Pilate can find nothing wrong in this man. Quite frankly, Pilate couldn't make any sense out of why these people were so set and determined to bring about his death. Days ago, we had just heard a crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Now we hear another crowd shouting, crucify him. It was Friday. Eventually, Pilate will symbolically and literally wash his hands of the whole thing and turn Jesus over to be crucified. He was beaten. A crown of thorns was pressed into his brow. He was, uh, he was mocked. Uh, they nailed him to the cross. He was pierced through his side. He died on the cross. It was Friday. After he had died, Joseph of Arimathea took his body off the cross, wrapped him in those burial clothes, placed him in the tomb. It was Friday. It was Saturday. And it was silent. It was silent in that tomb because death makes no noises. The disciples were hiding behind locked doors for fear that they might be next. It was a silent tomb. It was Saturday. This uprising, this stir that had been going on has been dealt the death blow. Everyone has gone home. There's no more mocking crowds at a cross. There's no more sounds of the cross. That would be Nails being hammered. There's no more sounds. Whips make noise when they hit flesh. There's no sounds on Saturday. It was all over. It was a silent, cold place behind a cold stone that had been rolled over the opening of that place of burial. It was silent where they had laid, laid Jesus' dead body it was Saturday. It was Sunday. A week ago, there were cheering crowds that just days prior, a few days ago, there were jeering crowds. One week later, one week unlike any other week in the history since days began, no week like this week and no day like this day, it was Sunday. Unlike all other Sundays, it was Sunday. It was the day that the prophets had prophesied. Thousand years prior, it was Sunday. It was the day that Genesis 3.15, one day, the curse 3.15 tells us, one day this curse of sin will be reversed. It was Sunday. 
The day Jesus spoke of many times to his disciples and they didn't get it, they didn't understand, and they didn't understand, it was Sunday when the angel of the Lord showed up to a silent tomb in that quiet moment and the stone began to move over those rocks and the silence began to break as you would hear the creaking noise that such a large stone would have to make as it was rolled to the side and the dead body of Christ began to to stir. It was Sunday and Jesus, your Savior, rose from the grave. It was Sunday. One week in the one life that had ended at this one death. And now we gather here this morning to celebrate the one resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Christ rose from the grave. Welcome to Holy Week. Welcome to Holy Week. Welcome to the greatest day since the beginning of days. Welcome to the reality that we sang earlier, we believe. Christ rose from the grave, we believe. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life and died on that cross, and he paid on that cross for our sins. The kids testified this morning of that truth. And three days later was the one resurrection. And from the one All those who now put their faith in Christ will one day rise to be with him in eternity. Praise be to our God. Second, the result of the one resurrection. Here we're going to now. You're probably wondering, when he's going to read the Bible? Now, I'm going to read, I am going to read a lot of Bible. So now we're going to read the Bible. Mark 16, verse 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. We know from the Gospels, the other Gospels, that that's an angel. And the angel says to them, do not be alarmed, all right? Or don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. What what will be the result of this? What's the result of this? What's the result of the resurrection? Well, they will go on. They will see Jesus. Many others will see Jesus. Paul tells us that over 500 will see Jesus. And from this moment, the result of this moment is the church will be birthed. Jesus will ascend to the Father. He will send his spirit to come and live in those who place their faith in Christ. And we read in the book of Acts that that the church is just launched into activity. And Jews and Greeks, the nations are gathered to him. They will come to be 
saved. It's what we call in the church born again. You are born, and then you're born again in Christ when you put your faith in Jesus. You are saved. And mission here, because of this one moment, this resurrection, mission is launched. We have missionaries in the room this morning. You're a missionary because of the resurrection. And churches are planted and letters are sent back to those churches. And we have the word of God, those letters written for our advantage this morning as well to encourage and to build these new churches and to encourage and to build this church and every church. And that's the result. And wow, a thousand other things is the result of the one resurrection. And a lot of years ago, we started this church and somewhere in time, many of you came to a moment where you saw the greatness of your sin and your need for a savior and you turned to Jesus and you repented of your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Why did that happen? It's because of the resurrection. That your salvation is the result of Christ is risen. You're here this morning because Christ is risen. The one resurrection. You repented. You called out to Jesus. You trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins. You believed that this one life, this one death, this one resurrection had brought you to a place of salvation and now you live for him. Life is worship. You serve him. You believe in him. Some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, I don't know. I don't I, don't say that for me. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe those verses that I just read there in Mark. Or perhaps you're here and you're saying, no, I straight up reject him. Again, thank you for being here. You might be here and you're thinking, I have rejected him and now God wants nothing to do with me. And I love this moment in the text. Here again, it said, says, See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And I just love that. I just love that because it doesn't have to, he didn't have to add and Peter. Why? Why is that in the text? Because Peter was one of the disciples. Why didn't he just say, go tell the disciples? Peter's one of those. You're going to tell him. But and Peter. Well, Peter doubted Christ. Peter Peter rejected Christ. Peter, on that evening that I already shared about, after the garden, Peter denied Christ three times. The rooster crowed. So to these ladies, the angel is saying, go tell the disciples and Peter. And he says that to us this morning as well. You, you, you who would perhaps be here this morning and you're a doubter or you're a denier and you've rejected and you're thinking, what would God want to have to do with me? Well, you just place your name in there. Go tell the disciples and Tim. Those were sweet words to the doubter, Peter. Nothing more sweet to those who have said, thank you, God, but no thank you, God, and Peter. Today's an opportunity for any and all of us to call out to Jesus. It's what the resurrection does. That's the effect of the resurrection. That's, that's the result of the re resurrection. Sinners call out to a Savior. 
Jesus Christ. Number three, one life to respond. That's speaking of us. We have, we have this one life that we've been given, and it's an opportunity for us to respond to the resurrection. But how do we respond? It's our response. We sure do make a big deal of all of this, Easter weekend. Christ is risen. We all kind of, all right, we, what are we supposed to say? <laughs> Half of us say, happy Easter, you know. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, um, what all's going on here? What difference does all this talk of Holy Week make in the nitty-gritty of our lives? Like, what difference does this today make tomorrow as you're driving to work? Is this something that we just kind of do once a year? Make a big hubbub about, and then, you know what? It's back to the grind on Monday, and we'll see you next year. Or does the resurrection in some way matter beyond a day? How does it matter tomorrow? In all that's going on in all of our lives, in all the madness, in the job, in the family, in the, in the world, all that's taking place around us, what does today matter tomorrow? And if it does matter, how? How does it matter? Well, the Bible provides the answer to that. And it's really practical. Both Paul and Peter will address that question. First of all, Paul. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture, so please stick with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul has been writing to the Corinthians. And he comes to the end of that first letter to the Corinthians and he says this, verse number one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, listen to his words, as of first importance. This is of first importance. What I also received. What is that? What did he receive? What's the first importance? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Praise be to God. That's what we've been singing. That's why we're here this morning. But what, what, what difference does it make? He goes on, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul speaking. For I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. You know why it wasn't in vain? Because Christ rose from the grave. He goes on, verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That was the argument in the Corinthian 
day in the Corinthian church. There's, there were some who were saying, there will be no resurrection from the dead. And he's saying, how can you say that? If Christ rose from the dead, how can you say there would be no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if you, as a believer in Christ, are not going to raise from the grave, then Christ didn't raise from the grave. All right, so fill in his argument. But Christ rose from the grave, so you will rise from the grave. And he's going to tell us, so what does that matter on Monday? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. All right, pack up. Let's go home. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. All right, you tracking? Listen to what he says. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You know what he's saying? Your life is hopeless. It's literally what he's saying. Your life, your very, not just your faith, but your life is vain. You have no hope whatsoever. You are just here to live your X amount of days and die, and it's done. So he says, next verse, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is all we've got, this life, hope right now, how many years? Pity us. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ, the second Adam. So two ways, two ways that the Bible calls us to respond or we could say two ways that the resurrection makes a difference tomorrow and the rest of our tomorrows. Number one, the resurrection calls us to respond with hope. So Paul to the Corinthians, you have hope because Christ rose from the grave. The very fact that Christ rose from the grave, this is your hope. Not Hope as in, well, I hope so. No, this is, your, this, is your, this is your surety. This is your hope in Christ. This is what you can know in Christ because Christ rose from the grave. You have hope. Did you hear verse 14? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection, then preaching is vanity and faith is vanity, but Paul's argument is, but Christ has risen from the grave. And so it's not vain preaching and it's not vain faith in Christ. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins. But Paul's argument, Christ has risen from the grave. And so those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, right? Their sins have been forgiven. Forgiveness is found at the cross and it's proven at the resurrection. Paul's argument is that if you place your faith in Christ and since Christ has risen from the grave, then you can know, you can know that you can know you too will one day rise from the dead. And so there is no vain preaching and no vain faith, which he then goes on to connect those truths to hope. Verse 19, if in this life only we have, we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why do, you, why do you have hope living in this painful world? I'm speaking to the follower of Christ this morning. Why do you have any hope this morning? Have you seen the news? How do we have hope living in a hurtful, sinful world? A world of unjust war and death. An unexplained sickness there in this room represents just a whole pile of hurts. The list is long of the horrors that surround us living in a sin-filled, sin-cursed world. Is Paul ignorant to those pains? Oh no, if anybody's not ignorant, it would be Paul. He knows suffering. He's not ignorant to the pains. So Paul, where are you coming from? Now, what he's doing here is he's showing us in all of this, you have hope because the tomb has been vacated. So friends, I submit to you, this is no vain thing that we celebrate this morning. And it's no vain preaching. And your faith is no vain faith. Let's go on to see how Peter picks up on this thread. First Peter chapter 1. We can see hope even in the pain. Have you seen hope at a funeral? You go to a funeral of someone who's a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And while there's tears, as there should be, and while there's pain, as there should be, there's genuine, genuine hope. Where's the hope coming from? Right here, Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day. That's our hope. It's not a, it's not a Resurrection Day that we just kind of know generally or we know factually. It's something we own. We place our faith in this Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to ask you, do you know this faith? Is that an amen moment for you? Do you know this faith, this hope? So both Peter and Paul are going to walk us through this hope. I'm going to connect that to our second response. What's the response? What's it matter tomorrow as you're driving to work and life is difficult and sometimes crazy and often hurtful? Um, well, you have a hope. Jesus rose from the dead. There's, there's more to this life. When this life is over, oh my, we're just getting started. 
because he rose from the dead. That's your hope. Number two, the resurrection calls us to respond to this hope with joy, which almost kind of you could say doesn't need to be said, (laughs) right? Well, yeah, the response would be joy. But let's see how Peter unpacks this. I just love 1 Peter 1, chapter 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Sorry, Cindy, that was really fast. (laughs) According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace be multiplied to you. Now, watch where he goes here. Don't let this be lost on you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. All right? Don't lose that. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you have faith in Jesus Christ, here's why. It's according to his mercy in which has caused you to be born again. That's a moment. That's an amen moment. All right, I'm just gonna pause and have my personal, private amen moment. Praise God. If it were not for his great mercy, you and I would not be born again. To a living hope. Hope, there it is. That's the hope of the, where's he going? Through the resurrection. How do you have a living hope? Well, because Christ rose from the dead, he says. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then listen how Peter just piles on the words to an inheritance that is imperishable. It won't perish. It's undefiled. It's just pure. It's unfading. will not fade away kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, what? You rejoice. You rejoice in this. Though now, here, the Bible is not like, um, it's not a facade. It's real. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's another amen moment. Have you? Both Peter and Paul are coming to the resurrection moment, the one week, the one weekend, the one day, the one resurrection, the one savior. And they're saying, look, this is what the resurrection does for you. This is the difference that it makes in your everyday life. This is the difference that it makes as you drive to work on another Monday. You have a living hope in Jesus Christ because he's risen from the grave and that is to produce in the believer in Jesus Christ a great joy because of what he's accomplished for us. What difference does today make? Are we just doing a religious thing? And the Bible's answer is, oh no, not a religious thing. It's a glorious joy. It's a glorious hope. Peter says, blessed be, oh yes, to the apostle Peter. Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his mercy has caused us to be born again. Praise him is what Peter is saying. If born again, Peter's argument is, you have this living hope, what does, where does this living hope come from? Does it just appear out of thin air? No, you have an a, a object to your faith. Christ is risen. Peter piles on the words, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, caused you to be born again, born again because you have a living hope, leads you to this inheritance of these three different things, and that leads you to this joy, verse number six, and death has been defeated, and you now, follower of Christ, those who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, you look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you now have eternal life with Christ. It's why the hymn writers do what they do. The songs that we sing, they don't end at the cross and they don't end at the resurrection. They end where? And he will come again. They get it. <laughs> they're reading the same Bible we are today. And they're writing the lyrics. This is resurrection life. This is death has been defeated. This is victory has been won for you. We're not talking about a victory over Egyptians and we're not talking about a victory over Romans. We're talking about a bigger enemy that required a bigger savior. We're talking about victory over sin and death itself and praise be to God. He died, he paid for our sins and he rose from the grave. Now you have a living hope that is filled with joy. Resurrection life provides that living hope. If the worship team would join me. And in that living hope, it brings this incredible, incredible joy, even in the pain, even in the circumstances, even in this difficult world, because we can know. It's where we started this service. We believe. We believe. We can know he rose from the grave. Because we can know that he rose from the grave, we can also know that there will be a day. I said it a few weeks back. Some of you weren't here. I've been doing some study, some research. What I have found in my research is 100% of the time, 100% of the people will one day die. All right? So there you go. Welcome. All right? Welcome. Welcome to Trinity. But Here's the good news. It's not about our, if we die young, if we, if we die, if we make it to 101, wow, that sure was quick in light of eternity. We can know Jesus and we can know that one day we will rise from the grave. It's Paul's argument. You can know that because you know your Savior is risen. And so as quick as you go, praise be to God, the tomb is empty, you can go. And one day, one day, this is your living hope that's filled with joy. One day, we will rise to be with him. Let's stand together and let's sing about that. It seems appropriate. Mm -hmm.